Welcome to What She Said. My name is Candace Sampson, and when I first took over What She Said in January 2020, I jokingly asked in the intro, what could possibly go wrong? And then 2020 said, let me show you. My life has been a country song ever since, but then again, so is everyone else's right now. Thankfully, through this podcast, I get to meet the most amazing women in Canada and around the globe and share their stories with you. What She Said is here to talk about anything and everything under the sun as interpreted by and through the perspective of women. Because honestly, we've heard what he said for long enough. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Today's show is coming right up. We live in a world divided on just about everything, from wearing masks to left or right politics and to conspiracy theories. How then do we deal with disinformation, particularly when each side believes their side is the right one? Equally as pressing, how do we ensure that Canadian news content has a fair shake when global companies are driving the views and news online? Heather Bacon is the deputy publisher at iPolitics.ca and joins me today to discuss why it's so important to protect Canadian news media and some ways to tackle the disinformation war. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you very much, Candace. I just want to clarify my last name is Bakken, not uh, Bacon, but that's okay because my handle is Bakken Bits and it's a play on Bacon Bits, but it's more uh, Bakken the oil rather than uh, Bacon the food. <laughs> I will. I will never forget that now. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk then about, so why do you think, you know, you wrote an article, an opinion piece in the Toronto Star. Um, So let's start with why you think Canadian news media is in jeopardy. Uh, It's, you know, journalism is, you hear this often that journalism is a cornerstone of democracy. And right now, I think we're in a battle of freedoms. And the irony is that people don't understand the potential threat to their freedom and liberty that the lack of competitive news media and journalism uh, provides in that ecosystem of information, uh, fact-based evidence. So that is a foundation. And then I think we have to do, you know, bifurcate uh, Canadian content versus news. So there are two different issues, right? We have content, but the, which is the news, sorry. And, and then we have culture. So Canadian culture, and how do we address the cultural side? And that's where it gets a little bit tricky because there's a gray zone in between. And I think on a policy level, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, where do, where do newspapers fit? Where does digital online news media fit? And where does broadcasting fit? And, uh, you know, CRTC uh, is in a direction where they want to separate those two. So if we're going to separate them, let's talk about the news. Let's talk about journalism and that impact on culture, which is different than Canadian content. So I just want to, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, growing up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Gen X. Uh, I used to, uh, you know, look at Americans, for example, and think culturally we weren't that different, uh, you know, because I grew up consuming U.S. media, really, and thinking, oh, we're not that different. What's the big deal? Now, of course, I think there's a big difference <laughs> and it's important to maybe emphasize those things. However, you know, when I go online, I'm constantly being pushed to U.S media or or media that's coming out of the U.S. because of the platforms I'm on. So the browsers I'm on, either Google or Facebook. So how do we deal with that? Like, how do we get, um, 
those websites where most people are, those browsers, to be pushing us the Canadian content. Can we do that? This is what we're hoping, uh, and this would be a policy push and, and trying to create, uh, you know, robust legislation, like create a, create a playing ground where it's level. I don't think anybody's asking for an unfair advantage, but right now, a lot of Canadian providers have an unfair disadvantage. And the disadvantage is created by several different factors. I would say just from the get-go, when you talk about Canada-U.S., you know, relations and culture and how we are very much um, exposed to American culture. That's a global phenomenon, right? So we all still are able to carve out our niche. But I think on that playing field, we have to say, okay, if I'm going to go on and look for news about something in my country, my Canadian content providers should be at the top of the list, and that's serviceability. So, for instance, on the day of the uh, uh, economic uh, outlook with the government, I did a quick search for Canada news, and the top of that list was The Guardian, which is a British online news platform. So I'm finding out about, if I'm just a consumer looking at this and I wanna know the news, the top of the list was uh, a, a British perspective of our economic outlook. Well, you know, I think we created a constitution to basically <laughs> cement Canada as its own being with our own parliament. And we obviously do have a connection, but why is a British interpretation of our um, government policy coming out? Then I went down to, I don't know, the third, fourth, fifth slot, and they were all broadcasting, no newspapers in there. So public broadcaster, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, um, dear and, uh, you know, near to my heart because I worked there for many years. I do believe in public broadcasting, but I also believe that it should be, if it's publicly sponsored, you can't steal the advertising dollars. So make up your mind, what are you, right? So we get that. So then you get to see that. Do you see anything where there is money put into original Canadian content in terms of the journalism? No, nothing came up on the first page. It was broadcast. And then it went down to something I thought was so interesting. And it was like, you know, the, the daily travel newsletter. So it's like, what is that? Why is that coming up on a new search for Canada on the day we had our economic outlook? And I discovered it was, uh, apparently it's a closed subscription newsletter for the travel industry started by an Australian businessman who wants to reach into the Canadian market. So why did he show up? Is it pay to play? And if it's pay to play, how much did he pay? Because I went and looked at the Facebook followers, the online presence, their market, uh, their biggest presence is in Asia, not in Canada. And they had fewer followers than most newspapers in Canada. So why is that coming up? The daily travel? And it talks about COVID restrictions. So how are we supposed to be informed citizens if a corporation is determining what information is most accessible to us on a quick turnaround time. And let's face it, time is money. So when you're looking for something, are you gonna to go to page 50 until you find a Canadian uh, you know, journalism site that does take the time to create original content that pays reporters to do investigative work? Like who pays for that? Um, and if you don't see it, it doesn't exist for you, then you're never gonna buy it. So how do we compete on that playing field? Like that's just one way of looking at it. You bring up a really interesting point about, you know, the pay to play and, and who had the money uh, for, to get that on the first page. But also, I think it's important to note 
it's not just advertising dollars. There's some pretty sinister players here uh, behind the scenes who are trying to undercut our, our very democracy with the money they're putting behind, you know, things that are landing right in front of us. And so, and we've seen that, I think, play out in real time right now in the U.S., but Canada is probably not far behind in that. Well, I mean, that's where you look at the giants, the big tech giants. And I mean, it's safe to say a lot of people are using Google as a search engine. It's an excellent search engine. It is an amazing platform. Um, but when it comes to, again, the foundation of our democracy and getting evidence, fact-based journalism, uh, it's not the place that I can rely on to provide that for me as a Canadian. For the other issue talking about, let's take Facebook as an example. Uh, in the last election, it's known that foreign players played a part in that, not just to bring out the vote on their side, but to suppress the vote on the opposing side. And Facebook was responsible for that. The Canadian government summons them to speak before Parliament during the Cambridge Analytica uh, crisis. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Christopher Wiley, who was a whistleblower. They don't even show up. Mm-hmm. So how can it be that a tech giant has more money and power than most nations and they usurp the authority of a G7 country by not even answering to our parliament but sending you know a representative uh, to me that the, the arrogance associated with that tells me that they are they believe they're invincible that's my personal opinion on that but I find that a slap in the face. The biggest trading partner, the largest undefended border in the world, a G7 country, we summons you to speak before parliament. If you have nothing to hide, why would you not come? Right? And they don't show up. So how do we deal with that? And then, you know, they'll have arguments for and against. We've seen now if we bring Twitter into the occasion, uh, into the conversation, pardon me. Twitter is a, again, there's so much good that come out of these platforms. Like Facebook, so many great things to connect people and communities, right? But then they start taking content that there's a cost attached to creating it. And they pivot off of that. And they'll say, oh, you know, it's only 6 to 10% of our content or that type of thing. You're still taking something that doesn't belong to you and putting that out there to encourage people to come back. So there has to be a cost attached to that for the people who are generating the content versus the people who are using it to create profits for themselves. Let's just find some way to make that work so it's a win-win situation. Um, So Facebook really didn't do anything, but they did cement their relationship with the outgoing administration in the U.S. So, you know, they're nobody's fool. They know that the people who have the power to break them up are not the people they want to tick off. But now that that administration has no power, they're sitting ducks for the next few days, they turn the table. So Twitter's a great example of this. You know, Donald Trump violated most of the points in their policy when he was running for the White House, for the Oval Office, and when he was in that office. And they allowed him to do things they didn't allow anyone else to do. Think about Rose McConnell in Me Too. I don't know if you remember, but she spoke out about Harvey Weinstein and Me Too, and her account was suspended because of right. what she on there. At the same time, President Trump is talking about this caravan of immigrants that is going to reach the border and overwhelm the U.S. because it's, you know, playing into his policy with a border wall. His administration had already let in more people legally, his administration, than were in that 
so-called caravan approaching the border and threatening it. But as a result of all the hyped up propaganda around that, you know, can you directly connect the shooting in Pittsburgh at a, um, at a synagogue to that event? No, but there's a crooked line to everything in this world, right? So that creates the mentality of people who think they're getting fact-based information by people who are very powerful, and they take it on their own accord to act on it. And this is a dangerous place that we live in now. And it wasn't until Twitter saw the damage on January the 6th with the riots at the Capitol that the 2IC, the person who was making the decision on the CEO's behalf, because he was in on some island in the in Polyponesia, the second in command made a decision to cut, to cut off the president for the sake of their country, for the safety of their country. They still have the leader, one of the leaders of Iran on there. They still have Maduro on there in Venezuela. They have people who are, you know, the government does not look kindly to, and they cut off their own president. So now how do you, what do you do with that, right? So yeah. then the argument of censorship comes up. But really, what trumps what? Is it safety or censorship? And I think when we talk about free speech, which is what we all, I believe, defend everybody, doesn't matter your political stripe, north or south of that border. When it comes to free speech, invoking mob violence is not protected. So this argument, the false argument of this being freedom of speech, is not the actual argument. The argument is, what are the benefits of using these platforms in the way they're being used? What is the outcome and what is the end result? And in a civil society, we have a contract with each other that you should be able to go out and experience your freedom, liberty, health, and happiness, whether you're in Canada or the US, without someone encroaching on that. And that's what we're fighting for. So when it comes back, we pull it in back to journalism and how to you know, not give journalism an unfair advantage but don't give it an unfair disadvantage. So in other words, if we're creating content, if we're holding the powers that be to account, accountability journalism, everybody should be on board with us. It shouldn't be a right-left phenomenon. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Donald J. Trump or you're Joe Biden, you should be held accountable for the policy and your actions. And it's the role of journalists to go after everything that doesn't smell right. <laughs> um, and then as we've seen in the time of, of crisis, we all look in the same direction. So in Canada, um, when COVID hit in the first wave, I think there was a renewed appreciation from government uh, on the provincial levels as well as federal of how media is a partner to help Canadian citizens have the best possible outcomes in a time of crisis. So we all look in the same direction. We're not adversarial. We're not trying to bite the hand that feeds us. We're trying to help the people who need to be helped, whether they know it or not. That's where journalism comes into play. And that's what we have to protect. So our role changes. When we need to help people, we help people. When we need to protect people, we protect people. When we need to look into something that has a massive outcome for most citizens, and that would be policy, we need to dig deep and make sure that it's thought out, it's, that there's transparency, that it's going to have, it's, it's going to be legislated to good effect for people. And once it is, we have to make sure that people who said they were going to do something do what they say they were going to do, because that was the, basically the buttress that allowed this to move forward. That's what we do. So 
why not protect that? Because it all fits together in the same ecosystem. And that is something that is Canadian culture, unique to us because of our parliamentary system. You're right. I grew up with Gen X too. Um, you know, Anne Murray and Gordon Lightfoot were basically on the radio every day, all day, and it drove me nuts. But, you know, as I grow up now as an adult, I appreciate the sensibilities that art plays and music plays in distinguishing us from American counterparts. So, yeah, I was stuck to the TV, too. I watched American television. I mean, you know, my family was the Brady Bunch. Carol Burnett was my mom, um, you know. But Gordon Lightfoot and Anne Murray uh, were in the other part of my brain writing songs about the Canadian experience. So I don't know, like these are these are really fine lines we have to think about at a philosophical level, at a practical level, at a legislative level, uh, at, at a business level. Um, and let's let's bear in mind as Canadians, do we want corporations that are profit driven, that have shareholder um, considerations? in their business decisions to determine what we can and can't see when we do a search for news? Do we really want Mark Zuckerberg determining what goes on where and when and who gets to pay for that when you're going back to your, we're talking about troll factories during an election? You know, there are, there are bad actors who want to subvert democracy everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that. I think about that a lot, you know, about who's who's pulling the levers here. Uh, and, you know, it's not Justin Trudeau and, you know, uh, Donald Trump. It's 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 Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and, you know, uh, Tim Cook, uh, you know, these, these people, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, these people are have an enormous amount of money behind them uh, and they're driving the conversation uh, online, which is highly disturbing. So obviously, I don't think we can sit back and just go, oh, the government's going to take care of this. What can we do as individuals, as private citizens to ensure that we protect Canadian news media, that we make sure we're getting balanced reporting? Uh, Any suggestions for people? Well, that's the million dollar question, Candice. And if I had the answer to that, uh, I think everybody would be uh, pretty safe and secure. Uh, What I can suggest is uh, journalism Mainstream journalism has a lot of thought behind it. The challenge is people don't want to pay for things they've been getting for free. Mm -hmm. So I would say in your budget, if you think about how much money you spend a year on coffee, if you can take a week of coffee and choose, say, two places where you feel that there's value in getting your news, because the public broadcasting uh, news is free, right? And compare it. And try to go on other sides of the spectrum. Try to get something that you feel you're aligned with and then try to get something that makes you feel uncomfortable and see how they handle it. And, you know, that goes back to, again, our parliamentary system is based on debate. So question period in the House. Um, Talking points aside, hopefully we'll get rid of that world too. But if you have a good, honest debate about something and you listen to the other side and you hear what they're saying, it's going to familiarize you with something that I think naturally as human beings, we're drawn to people we know to things that don't scare us. And when you hear the other side out and try to put yourself in their shoes, it's from, it becomes familiar and less threatening and less fear mongering. So let's listen to each other. And I really mean that and try to find a place where we're just helping Canadians be more informed to make their own decisions. I think people are inherently 
rational, right? It's the wisdom of the crowd. That works in politics and it works in information. But be honest about it and, and try to, we've got to find a way to help people understand that propaganda is very, very powerful. But when you scratch beneath the veneer, it's pretty ugly under there. There's a whole lot of black mold. So um, it's probably not the answer that would help people decide. I mean, I could promote my own website. Uh, if you want to know about policy, go to ipolitics.ca. You know, if you want to have um, investigative journalism, you know where to go for that. Um, so there are two players, three players in Canada that are private. Go to the privates and look and see what they have. And it's pennies a day. It's a few cups of coffee a year to be able to subscribe to this stuff, right? So, you know, a cup of coffee a month, are you willing to pay that? You can probably get really good value for your money if you do that. So... Maybe just cut down, instead of three cups of coffee a day, take two, use the rest to support journalism by Canadians. Canadian news by Canadians for Canadians in a global perspective, that's where you're going to get your money. Join the communities, join their online communities, share your voice, talk, question, challenge, be a part of it though. Don't judge it without getting in there and being a part of it and listen, listen, listen before you comment understand and listen because a knee jerk and trying to get your voice out those days are gone we can't live in the cacophony of sound where we have you know 500 people and 2000 opinions that's what a lot of these communities have become right well i think you know if i look you just looking at the states where you look you know the division of, of the vote there uh you know, it's not 50-50, but it's it's very uncomfortable <laughs> uh, in closeness. So that shows you that there, there you need to be communicating with the other side or you're, there's just never going to be a, a, um, a consensus between the two if they just keep uh, not listening to the other side and only getting their news from one source, right? Or the source that confirms what they want to hear. Yeah. Um, which is, again, the importance of talking with each other because we're really at our core. We're not that different from each other, I believe. Um, unless, of course, you believe there's some satanic cult trying to rule the world. And then I don't know how we I don't know how we fix that. Uh, but for the most part, we're probably more alike than different. Absolutely. Those margins are very small uh, and they're bigger in Canada because we have a, a third party that creates ballast, I think. But when you have a two party system and which has an impact on us and it is where things are going or you think of rural urban, you know, that channel has been switched, hasn't it, with COVID? People are appreciating what it means to have space and be out of the open. So those sensibilities will change too. But you're absolutely right. When we live in these margins of three to 5% that determines the outcomes of who's going to set the agenda in your country, you need to be able to have a conversation with the other side. And I think in Canada, we're still okay. We still can have conversations with people who are different political parties or another size of the, um, of the, of the aisle. But it is narrowing and it is becoming more polarized. And when you, I mean, it's kind of a joke when you talk about, you know, conspiracy theories and alien nations. But, um, you know, when you think of QAnon and how that was a fringe dark media site five years ago, and then all of a sudden it started, that information started jumping onto Facebook and then it showed up in the president's Twitter feed the same day. That's where those fringes, we take a hard left or a hard right 
And all of a sudden, the center is being ruled by those fringe elements. So again, yeah, let's let's get back to that play. I think most people are they're kind of centrist in there. They may be in our country, liberal in some areas, conservative in others. NDP, green, like we're, we're not black and white. People aren't black and white. So this is why shows like yours are fantastic. If people are listening in and they're listening to your show, hopefully they're listening to other shows and they're hearing your perspective and other perspectives. And over time, they're going to come to trust you and value what you're sharing. And, but, but don't put it all your eggs in one basket. Go to a few places, I guess would be you know, moderation is, it sounds super boring, but uh, it is a place where you can get another viewpoint and, uh, you know, just find something that aligns. And, and sorry, there's one other thing you said that's really important. You talked about affirmation and that echo chamber. And I think we have to get a little bit away from wanting your voice heard and to have people follow you and respond to you. And, um, because that really what it does, it creates that echo and it entrenches people more. So if your motivation is to be noticed, liked, heard, respected, um, you know, that's probably not the best way for us to generate content. If your motivation is to become informed, uh, educated, and aspirational, where you have a voice, we all have a vote, and your voice is your vote. Um, then you can make informed decisions that are going to have better outcomes for you because quite often people vote against their self-interest because they get stuck in these echo chambers. And then they're not heard even more. So inform yourself and listen to the other side. It'll, I, anyway, I, you know, I'm a former debater. I also launched the Ottawa Debating Society and I was president of the Toronto Debating Society for a few years. And what I tried to do quite often was to take the opposing view of what I felt to be true. And there was not one debate I had where I didn't learn something that took me closer to the other side, not one. And it was just by doing the research. So put yourself in someone else's shoes and just go out for a beer, go to the pub, pick a random person, bring up a topic, have a conversation and be respectful and listen. You don't have to fight if you don't disagree with something, but listen and then go back and the next time have your argument ready and try to make your case, but but don't just like have that wall come up right away. And so that's it. So, you know, good journalism, quality journalism costs money and it's gotta be paid for. So we've gotta pay for it. So again, I would say, think about the cost of a cup of coffee. Are you willing to put 10 cups of coffee a year into getting quality news um, and take it from there because it's worth it. It really will be worth in the long run for the health of our democracy to have competitive journalistic sites that we can all access quickly and easily and not have to look for and, you know, and that we can trust and you build trust over time. So we have to earn it too, right? Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand, too, the difference between opinion journalism and investigative journalism. Anybody can have opinion journalism. This show, what she said, is very much opinion. It's my show. I own the show. I put on what I want to talk about. Uh, that's This is my opinion. Uh, so, you know, but somebody like the Globe and Mail, for instance, or the Toronto Star, they have investigative journalists they send out who look into the story deeper to get both sides. That's very important uh, to understand the difference between the two, right? Because um, 
you can't accept what I say. And I say this truly, please don't accept anything I say as fact. <laughs> you know, I want you to listen to both sides, but I, I, I haven't gone out and done major investigation on this. I just want to talk about the issues yeah. uh, in a respectful manner with other people so that we can, can have these civil conversations. And I think that's what we're missing is a lot of civility in our everyday conversations anymore. Civility and context, and you're providing context. You're absolutely right. And the other thing I would say, um, you know, my iPolitics is owned by Torstar, and I'm not speaking on uh, their behalf in any stretch of the imagination, but I think you'll find that the community news and, you know, like having a focus with communities feeding in to the bigger picture is the way we've got to go down the road because a lot of these small local newspapers went out of business and there's no one there to cover City Hall. And when there, there's no one watching the hen house, the fox gets in there and a lot of towns are seeing things that they weren't aware coming down the pipes because nobody was covering it. And you can't depend on a communications person for a mayor's office to give you a critical analysis of what's being passed, <laughs> you know, what's having an impact on your life walking out your door the second you set foot on the sidewalk and you're on public property, you want to know what's going to affect you. And that's where it all starts, right? Community and voices feeding out. So when we get the community feeding into the bigger community, small communities, bigger communities, national community, that's the winning formula. And so go local too. go local, go national, go international and get the big picture. And, and so, yeah, your opinion matters, Candace, because you think about it, but you're right. It's your opinion. And there could be someone who disagrees with you, disagrees with me. I would be love. I'd love to have a conversation with that person who thinks you're absolutely wrong because I'll learn something from them. Right. They'll teach me something about my point of view that can help me go in the right direction. And it's like taking a ship in, you know, in treacherous waters. You've got to constantly navigate those waters, know what's beneath you, know what the wind factors. Like we have so many things coming at us. So don't put yourself in one place and think that that immovable position is something you need to fall on the sword for. We evolve. Like your opinion on things, Gen X, right? 20 years ago is probably evolved. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, I think we're probably the coolest generation. Sorry, I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were sort of made for this moment, you know, the latchkey kids at home alone. This this pandemic was, we were made for this pandemic. Uh, but, you know, uh, and I just want to just want to hammer home one last point. We've gone way over time for radio. So this is going to be a longer form podcast now. Uh, but I do want to hammer home one point, And that is getting that local news because it's very, very important. Because uh, when you were as you were saying that, I was thinking, where did I look first for news today? I went to CTV, which is national, and I went to CNN, which is American. Yeah. I have no idea what is happening in my own backyard right now. And that is probably, that is wrong. And you've made me very conscious of that because I'm going to switch that because I should know what's happening locally in my own backyard first before I expand outwards, because it doesn't matter what is happening in Paris right now to me. Uh, you know, I'm sure it matters on a global level, but at this moment, probably not crucial, right? So yes, backyard first. I love it. So what you're basically talking about is news triage. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Okay. And that's, that's the way to do it. And there are a lot of, and you will help community news uh, by just reading them 
And uh, I think I, you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist on this stuff. I think what you're doing right now, uh, the technology has allowed you to create a podcast and to take your podcast and put it on radio. And if you wanted to, you have video here, so it could be put out, you know, with visuals. Um, so basically it's allowing you to share your voice, right. And you get to go big on this, but what you're doing, the essence of what you're doing, Candace, is your storytelling. And storytelling is not going anywhere. It's been around for millennia and we get new technology. You know, we went from, when you think of the innovation of papyrus, of paper from hammering stone, can you imagine how much time that saved? I, I don't, I think we are panicking thinking technology, it's going so rapid, like it's rapidly evolving. We're going to catch up. We did in this from the Stone Age to, you know, that transformation we did when the printing press came out. Think of what it did to fracture the power and authority of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Well, the Catholic Church wasn't decimated. It didn't go away. But now you had more choice. Right. And then you had publishers. And then you and now we went into this world of everybody has a voice and we've just got to pull it back in. We've got to curate those voices and we have to get back and look at publishing in a different, in a digital era, how does that look? We're figuring it out, we'll get there. So I don't think we can give up hope, but you're right. Let's look in our own backyard, see what your community is doing, how you can make that better. And once you get that figured out, look at your bigger community and what's your ultimate community. And, and we may belong to many communities. We're women, you're you know, female uh, focused, show right now, we're a majority of the population. We're 50.5% of the population. We have been overlooked. Yeah. And so, you know, as you're saying that, that's like when this pandemic hit, it sort of shifted my entire focus uh, because before, before anybody was saying, calling it a she, she session or disproportionately affected and all, you know, all these buzzwords that came out in the months after I knew it the first week because yeah. it was, Every woman I was talking to, they had kids running around. They were stressed because their husbands weren't picking up the weight. They were feeling the financial pressure. This was immediate. Um, yes. So for me, it is it is cemented to me the importance of having a platform for women to talk to other women, to listen to what other women are saying, uh, to share ideas, uh, yes. to inspire, because we don't have a lot of that. And we hear what he said a lot. <laughs> so it really is what she said that, that voice is important. So that's that's important to me. But I also think it's I'm aware of the responsibility I bear having a public platform that I can share with others that I need to be responsible in what I'm sharing uh, with people. Not everybody has that uh, that view, though. So um, and we know that because of what we see with some of the social platforms out there, some of the talk shows, they're not responsible. They are looking to divide. Um, so we have to be aware of that. And so. Um, this is a great conversation. I hope we can do this again another time because it's obviously a huge, there's so much to it, right? Uh, yeah. So many players. But um, I thank you for joining me today and discussing this. But if people want to know more about you, if they want to read more about iPolitics, uh, where can they go? They can go to iPolitics.ca. So, uh, you know, we are a subscription-based news platforms, but we do have a COVID-19 portal that anything related to the pandemic is in there. And we've opened the paywall as a public service to Canadians during this national crisis. So if you want to have policy, learn about policy news, there's reporting with our, and there's expert opinion. So we don't just take people's opinion. We have people who actually have expertise in an area. We have visualizations you can follow. And I would say, Candace, uh, part two, 
when you talk about women um, and social media platforms, remember all those algorithms are designed mostly by men and they're men who are 20 to 35 and they are telling us what we should be consuming. And I say, take back your ownership on that. So maybe that's part two. Um, but I wanna thank you so much for inviting me on here and having the chance to actually have a conversation with you. Um, we need conversations, right? Like, Yeah, that and that's actually what's crucial is that we do need the conversations. Cause again, we're not as far off from each other as some people would have us believe. Yeah, especially if we're Canadian. All right. Thank you, Heather. Uh, We'll have you back again. Okay, Candice. Pleasure to meet you. And thanks so much. Keep up the good work. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.